0: Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in London at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by BP in November 2017, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Chris Holmes, who draws upon his experience as head of future operations at Vodafone. The conversation delves into how Vodafone has improved their customer services with emerging technologies and how digital transformation is driven in the corporation.
1: Chris, it's a pleasure to have you here in my uh, little backstage uh, studio. Um, And maybe we can start the interview by you just briefly uh, introducing yourself, uh, what company you work for and what uh, role you have at the moment. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh,
2: Chris Holmes, I am the head of Future Operations. Uh, I'm in Vodafone, but I I need to make it clear. I'm in Vodafone Group Enterprise. Uh, And that's the part of Vodafone that supports our multinational corporates. So very much a B2B environment. Uh, I've been focusing on the digital transformation in the operations function. So call centers, customer interaction type stuff for the last 18 months. Uh, and I'm just about to extend the, the remit of that uh, to go all the way from from lead to cash. So across the entire life cycle, customer life cycle.
1: How would you describe, kind of in your work, how would you describe the, the um, innovation framework or, or the innovation process at Vodafone? A couple of, couple of answers to that, I think.
2: Uh, I think that, that there's a formal one. Uh, so we've got the e process, traditional hopper ideas in, voting, uh, Dragon's Den, funding, uh, and then you know the, the test and learn and those ideas that flow through. Uh, then obviously go into production. So, very much that from a sort of capturing the uh, employees' ideas. Uh, the, the, there's two other innovation processes, I guess. One is uh, we hold a lot of customer forums, uh, and we co-create with customers. So where you know we can bring Vodafone's technology to help solve uh, a customer's problem or innovate with a customer. Uh, and there's some good examples out there. Uh, around uses-based insurance, there's uh, m our mobile uh, payment system in in Africa. So you know where we've done those innovations, we've done those with customers. And then uh, the third type of innovation is is what I've been driving. Uh, so within the framework of a big transformation budget, uh, what we've done is we've kept uh, some money in the bank uh, and through the program, we ask for ideas from the team for quick wins that would make a big difference in a short time frame. So whilst we're doing the big heavy lifting transformation, uh, you know, we can actually start to, to show quick success, uh, and, and reinvest the time that saved from the agents, from the engineers, uh, back into making the transformation go faster. So, so really innovation at three, three ways, one in the ERIS framework, Two, co-creation with customers, uh, and then three, within the internal transformation, is having those hot fixes and those those quick fixes around uh, to, to make sure that we're, we're showing and making progress on the transformation.
1: Where are some of the projects placed organizationally? Um, and and in, I mean, also those three different versions, where are they placed organizationally? Do, does it differ You know, if they're either in the one, one of those kind of innovation processes or the other? And, and how uh, also physically, uh, how do those teams work together on those projects? So let's take the e the, the internal
2: innovation process. Uh, that's driven from the technology team. So quite a lot of that is technology ideas driven through that uh, process uh, and is managed in our group technology function. Uh, I'll come on to geography uh, later on. Uh, within, the, within the co-creation, again, that's managed very much from the product management team. Uh, obviously within vodafone we have quite a rich portfolio of products around connectivity uh, iot cloud and hosting security uh so you know our, our account teams will uh, uh talk to their customers but the product management team will be the ones who, who make that co-creation work uh and they're based globally as well obviously we're uh, you know we serve multinationals in in five different regions around the world uh and then you know for the transformation the the rump of that tends to take place in terms of the planning and the execution uh, in the UK because uh, that's where most of our IT sits and that's where a lot of the back office sits. However, the transformation has to impact teams around the world. So the uh, the transformation I'm running at the moment uh, we've got contact centres in in seven different uh, countries. So you know it is it is a global. Uh, it is a global transformation, but driven very much from the UK, which is where a lot of the technology and the development happens, but needs to go and feed out into those different uh countries and regions. I think that's that's broadly it. Uh you know, the ERIS process uh, technology again, very UK centric. Uh that's where the platforms are. But we do have uh, you know, we've got opcos, so we've got we've got in market operations as well. So you know Germany, UK, Spain, Italy. Uh, and what we tend to do is engage with those teams on, on an innovation basis as well. But it's a light touch from the center because there's lots of innovation going on in each of those individual markets as well. So, so we don't control that. We let that actually just, just bubble up because there's local market needs, there's local customer requirements. So all of that happens in the opcos uh, and we just provide a, a light touch framework at the, at the center for that.
1: What are some of the methods uh, to uncover those needs, those uh, customer needs? And uh, especially also in the, in the digital age that we're, we're living in, well, how do you find out what the needs really are of, of your customers? Yeah, we, we take, uh, take several
2: different approaches. Uh, the, the, the most effective is talking to customers, right? It's, uh, uh, there's no secret sauce with that. Uh, and it's one, of the, it's one of the most enjoyable parts of my job. Uh, which is going to, you know, depending on on the size, shape uh, of the customer relationship. So for for some customers, we run their entire global network. Uh, You know, and where we have those managed service and long-term relationships, uh, part of the the governance and the framework of of managing those contracts, Uh, there might even be an innovation clause in there or there'll be a a service development clause. Uh, And a great part of my job is going out to those customers and explaining what we're doing but also asking them what they're doing and what we should be doing to help them. Uh, and that's, as I say, that's that's the most enjoyable part of, of my job. Uh, so so within that account framework, we, we have you know, the mechanism to formally go and engage your customers and understand what needs to happen. Uh, outside of that, uh, we hold a customer advisory boards. So we invite our senior customers to come to an innovation forum. Where they bring their ideas, we share our ideas. Uh, they give us feedback, and sometimes that can be quite direct and blunt. Sometimes it's quite constructive and creative. All depends on on the relationship and and you know what that customer wants to share. So you know the, the, the simplest and most effective way is for us to just talk to our customers because we're all solving the same problem. I mean, we heard it today with BP in terms of they're looking at digital innovation. What does that do to their business? And, you know, we're all wrestling with the same technologies the pace of change. Uh, So it's really important to go and have those conversations. Uh, Outside of that, uh, we do a lot of desk research as well. So, you know, it's it's looking at what's out there in the market. uh, And we also occasionally, you know, bring in third parties, SIs, consultancies to give us a perspective. Uh, We also have our... Uh, we have our forum where we get the analysts engaged uh, as an as uh, annual event, and we share our plans there. And then that's a good way for us to get feedback as to whether we're on the right track as well. So, so it happens at all sorts of different levels. But, you know, I would say the most effective way is just talking to our customers, seeing what they're planning, making sure our plans fit with them, uh, and just sharing ideas and, and, you know, adapting our approach as we go.
1: Now, you've been talking about some of the emerging technologies uh, and, and, and BP, they were mentioning it as well, AI and, and a couple of others. Yeah. Uh, w- what do you look into at the moment? What are some of the technologies that, that is important in uh, and, and, and the focus of your work today?
2: Uh, you could probably list them, to be honest, but uh, no surprises. Uh, uh, AI, and that's everything from uh, chatbots, uh, it, it is an obvious one uh, through to predictive alarming and alerting on the network right so that we can we can spot a fault before it happens and we can fix it before it impacts a customer just through you know sifting through the plethora of alarms that go off and, and so, so you know AI is a big one for us, and that in my mind is really around making sure that we are uh, delighting our customers with staying ahead of the game uh, and being more proactive and less reactive, ultimately being preemptive where, you know, we can see stuff about to happen and stop it happening. Uh, so, so that changes the game from a service perspective. So, so I think AI, uh, we're only at the start of that journey with chatbots, uh, but I think, you know, as we get into that around all of the data that we have around our network performance and uh, you know how we can improve our operational performance, I think there's a long way to go there. Uh, so AI is an obvious one uh, big data, telcos have a lot of data about a lot of things, right? Uh, and we've invested quite heavily in this already. Uh, so we have stood up uh, a couple of big data platforms. We've hired a lot of, uh, uh, data scientists and a lot of analytics type people. Uh, and you know, they're now engaging with people like me in the business to see what business problems can we solve and how do we, how do we solve that? So, so big data analytics, uh, uh, AI you know all, all of that sort of comes together. Uh, the other type of stuff that, that we're now looking at is is blockchain. It's a really interesting one. Uh, really early conversations just trying to understand the applicability of that in, in our environment. So, so where can we get the benefits of non-repudiation and immutability? How do we you know how, how can that help us either transact our business better? Uh, or support our customers uh, better as well. So, you know, but blockchain's out there, but uh, there's a couple of pilots in supply chain, but I haven't come up with a, a customer relevant uh, example yet, but we are, uh, you know, we're investing in that quite, quite heavily. Uh, and then all of this is framed within a, a digital telco framework. Uh, so, you know, we, we know that uh, it's not just about the, the customer engagement or the back office efficiency. Uh, we need to make sure that the business is becoming more agile as well. Uh, so, you know, we've got targets around how many platforms are placed and managed in the cloud. We've got targets around how many implementations are done in an agile fashion. We've invested quite he- uh, heavily in some uh, industry frameworks there to make sure that we maintain the you know, the enterprise robustness, but, but start to make that move into agile. Uh, and, and that brings you down to business agility, right? In terms of how as a business do we get faster at decision making? We heard about it today as well, uh, through, you know, data led decisions and, and confidence in the data. Uh, so, so, you know, all, all of this, all of this comes together, uh, in an overall digital, uh, telco framework. Uh, we haven't got into, we haven't got into, uh, 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 quantum computing, yet I think we will leave that one to the uh, IT guys for now. I do understand it; I studied at a university, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that one's a bit far down the line. The computing power has, has enabled the whole big data and, and uh, uh, all of the analytics to, to be applicable now, uh, which is why I think you have know, to two winters there. Where, you know, th- there is a good chance that it will actually support the business decision making that it needs in order to make us uh, more agile and, and Certainly around decision-making, I think, is one of the biggest challenges we've got.
1: Now, let me ask you about platforms, <coughs> what role they play, because they've been really, you know, when talking digital, they've been powerful in a lot of different, especially also consumer, uh, con- consumer spaces. Mm. Um, and now it, it, they slowly, or not slowly, they mm. quickly, um, they dive into the uh, B2B space and industry and so mm. on. How important is it to, to, be, uh, to, to identify and create platforms and, and have the dominant one in, in your industry? Uh, I think the
2: best example for me will be around IoT. So, you know, Vodafone invested heavily uh, over five years ago in, in our global IoT platform that's given us a market leadership and dominance position. So having the platform, uh, I think, is, is, is really important and super essential if you're going to succeed and take that market leadership. Uh, that then throws up challenges, right? Which is uh, if, you, if you are the first mover and you invest heavily, and uh, the danger with that is you become proprietary. And what we're seeing now is a plethora of open IoT platforms. So, you know, uh, whilst it's essential that you, you get there and you get there quickly, it's also essential that you move on, uh, because, you know, uh, media, World Congress, you can see all these platform players popping up, open standards, open source, everyone can plug and play. And that's the new paradigm that we've now got to, you know, we've now got to pivot into that as well. Uh, so, you know, platforms, super essential for, for, uh, scale. Uh, And, you know, we've we've got over 50 million, I think it's 60 million now, devices connected uh, globally. Uh, But, you know, to to drive that scale and that openness and that speed, and it's back to the agility, uh, you know, we need to keep reinvesting and and moving forward as well. So really important, but really important to keep moving.
1: Now, when you think about that, the the digital transformation that that you're you're driving, what skill sets and capabilities are necessary for that? and, And how much, you know, you were mentioning... Uh, hiring some of the uh, analytic mathematicians, statisticians, yep. and, and, and those kind of profiles. What skill sets and capabilities are needed, and uh, and how do you either acquire them, develop them, or hire them?
2: You you, you still need people who can do stuff, right? It's, uh, you're not going to get get away from that. Uh, so for us, you know, it's a decision about what do we partner for versus what do we have in house, right? So. Uh, the, the skills that we're uh, building or retaining are still very much architectural. So you need people who understand your end-to-end architecture. How are those things pull together? Uh, you know, we still need good uh, project program type people. Now, the methodology they use might have mo- moved on from Waterfall into Agile, but so long as they're adaptable and can make that shift, and I mean, I, I grew up with Waterfall V models, right? Uh, and I'm now you know, driving our agile transformation program. So you can, but you need to invest. Uh, and we've invested quite heavily in a, you know, in a, in a framework that uh, across Vodafone, across the business and IT uh, and the transformation teams, that we're all singing now uh, from the same hymn sheet around a common framework, common language. So I think that's really important. So you know, some of the traditional architectural principles, good discipline around project program management doesn't go away in my mind. Uh, just a change of how you do it. Uh, so, so, you know, super keen on on maintaining that. Uh, the other thing that we, we ran into uh, was the business change. So, you know, Agile's great for dropping out uh, new functionality every sprint, every two weeks. You know, a call center can't take a new release every two weeks, right? So you still need to batch that up. Uh, we set up a model office environment, which was all around uh, batching those up. Uh, and testing them, uh, uh, not testing them sort of UAT type, does it work, but you know, how in real life does this change affect how an agent works? And we set up the model office environment to make sure that we weren't going to slow things down, make it more difficult. Uh, we took agents off the desk and, and put them in there, watched how they worked, watched the impact. So again, you need black belts, you need process type people who can stand behind them and understand what's going on. Uh, the other side of that is UX, and, and we've invested relatively heavily now in the whole user experience. Everything we build has to be super simple, really easy to use, uh, logical, uh, intuitive is, is the main thing, I would say. Uh, you know, you, Everything now has to just work, right? It's a, And you need to invest the time in the UX uh, in order to get that right. And if you don't, uh, I think you've missed a big trick. So... Uh, slightly rambling there uh, but I would say you know some of the traditional skills state uh, architecture project program discipline all, all of that needs to say business change essential still uh, and you know to enable that business change you, you need the designers you need the UX experience uh, what we've partnered for so not built uh, the skills ourselves but uh, you know uh, cloud based uh, development so so it's just the model that we run i'm sure we could if we wanted to and we could in source more uh, but you know we we've relied on third parties uh, uh, but we've all been part of of a single you know agile process uh, and you know the, the important thing there was the co-location the working space the teams and and all the infrastructure that goes around that to make any sort of gathering of people a successful engagement and and driving a successful outcome so uh, I think they would be the main things we talked about data and analytics so you know building the big data teams bringing in the data scientists uh, we also invested heavily on a data architect uh, for, for what we did because again data is feeding everything in the, in the machine and uh, we, we made sure that we were in control of our own destiny by defining and driving that, that data architecture uh, to support our needs and, and in the future because, you know, we realize that data underpins everything we're going to do there.
1: How are teams assembled for those for, for different projects and how do they evolve and what are the reasons for that? Mm. It was a pretty big
2: program. So, you know, it's, uh, it was uh, fundamentally we were completely replacing all of the infrastructure uh, that supports our call center agents. Uh, we're, we're building online capability for customers to self-serve. Uh, and we're also integrating quite heavily into the network management system so that we can automate uh, and we can we can simplify the agent's uh, day-to-day experience. So uh, it was actually quite a big team. Uh, I, th- I think the main thing was that we co-located everybody, which actually is it's a lot more difficult than it sounds, right? Because, you know, with virtual office space, with, you know, homeworking and uh, all of that flexibility, it became really important to make sure that we got the designers sat with the business uh, uh, and product owners, sat with the development team, so you could do that iteration. So, you know, bringing all that together in one place, having plenty of office space, plenty of whiteboards, uh, you got your Kanbans going. You know, all of that needed a, uh, a co-located space, and, and thankfully we found one. Uh, obviously, you know, we we had remote developers uh, offshore, uh, so you need a lot of tech uh some really state-of-the-art video conferencing sharing type stuff it's all about the collaboration all about the engagements all about the common understanding uh as i said earlier you know it's still managed by uh program office it's still uh you know still linked into the business change which happens out in the in the actual call centers so what we did was we brought users in uh Uh, We rotated them around to to help not just with the requirements, but also with the, you know, the early testing phases. And then we did the deployment into the call centers, into what I explained earlier, which is the model office, to make sure that we could, you know, we we were doing the right stuff and it did deliver the outcome that we we were looking for before you deploy it across 1,200 agents globally, right? So, uh, you know, that all helps with the business change, all helps with, with driving uh, the success and the outcomes that you're actually driving for. So, you know, a nucleus co-working, uh, but then a federation into the into the uh, call centres and the, and the service centres to make sure that, that it was it was uh, sustainable uh, and, and driving the right uh, the right business benefits.
1: In all of that, what do you think is important in terms of leadership? You know, when you think about innovation projects, when you mm-hmm. think about digital innovation projects, what do you think is important in terms of leadership to get right?
2: Uh, so there's a few things. right? Uh, the, the main thing we focused on really early was the vision. Okay, so, so you know, we, we've, got, we've got an environment that everybody gets used to, and that's just how you work around here. Uh, and, and it's very difficult to get people out of that mode because you know, quite often they're happy doing what they do. Uh, whereas you know, we spent a long time painting the vision for service, so not around technology, it was around what do we want the service to be in two, three, four years' time. And it was all about you know, customers able to self-serve, uh, agents with the right information at their fingertips so that they could serve their customers more effectively, uh, zero-touch interactions, so you know, how do we let customers self-serve, flow all the way through, uh, get a problem resolved, flow all the way back without anybody having to actually touch those, those tickets, which is the, the, the mechanism for controlling that. Uh, so we set a zero touch goal. And you know, we'll only achieve that for 40, 50% of what we're trying to do. But having that clear vision uh, of what it lo- looks like in the future, uh, what it looks like from a customer perspective, So fewer outages, quicker time to resolve, uh, service transparency, they can see exactly what's going on, Uh, service reporting so that, uh, you know, they we we both got exactly the same view of what the service is and and how it's being managed. Uh, And that customer uh, real time communication is essential, right? Because in telco things break uh, and customers understand that. And so long as customers one know that we're aware of it and two, we're communicating to them what we're doing about it and when they can expect it to be restored. That generally is, is, uh, is, is a, is a good customer experience ideally. And this is part of the the next wave of the vision is, uh, you know, when we stop things from breaking. So we start to spot the trends and the alarms and and what's gone on before and go, hang on that router over there is about to run out of capacity. So let's go and upgrade it before it runs out of capacity. And that, I mean, that moves us into a very different service scenario, right? Can we ask customers for money because we are proactive because we used to give them money when we were reactive. So, so, uh, you know, it, it changes the whole service model and that's the idea, right? Is, is we want to put clear blue water between ourselves, uh, and, and the competition in terms of that service transparency, that proactiveness all the way through to, to the predictive service. Uh, so, so there's a customer vision. Then there's an agent vision, you know, that massively frustrated with the IT, difficult to get things done, uh, feel like they're, they're, they've got a hand tied behind their back when they're talking to customers, uh, don't trust the the process in the back office when they send tickets to get fixed. Uh, they don't know where they go. They, they have to ring around. You know, it, it, it's a difficult world. And, and painting for them uh, a, a vision where it's a single desktop, fully populated with all the customer information. When a customer rings in, everything's there, prompting them for next best action around resolution, just helping them do their job. And we've also trained the agents in some softer skills. So instead of the technical skills, uh, which, which they all have, uh, we've now equipped them with the softer skills around empathy, problem solving. Uh, so you know, our first call resolution has, has jumped up. Uh, our mean time to resolve problems has jumped up. Our calls fixed in, in SLA has jumped up. So you know those KPIs and those stats are important for us to measure to make sure that we're having the right effect. Uh, so I think I think you know that that's that's how the leadership of this went, uh, and you know we spent a lot of time painting that vision, uh, bringing everybody on board, uh, and then the program team. It was really important that they understood the vision as well. Because if the program team aren 't delivering with that in mind, you know you can start to wander off so we spent a lot of time up front with everybody involved in all the design and the decision making saying this is this is what we 're doing this is why we 're doing it uh, and then every quarter throughout the life of the program we 've done exactly the same we 've reminded people why we 're doing this and what we 're doing, what the vision is, the progress against the plan so you know, having that, that direction and, and having the, uh, the clear end goal that everybody's bought into, everybody understands, is, is one of the fundamental principles uh, that I think has really helped us be successful. in this.
1: Let me ask you the last question about innovation and how you how you see if you look back a couple of could be decades, uh, <laughs> not that old. <laughs> <laughs> at least uh, looking back at what have you, what you've uh, you've experienced. And then looking forward and uh, looking slightly forward, but looking today, especially, uh, what has changed when you think about innovation?
2: Uh, uh, the, the obvious and um, common example is just the speed, right? It, it just keeps getting faster. Uh, that said, that there's always been innovation, and I'm glad there has been, right so uh, you know we, we, we look at we look at the rise of the robots and you know every the, the 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 uncertainty that that creates now you know when the printing press came along uh there was worry that you know people just couldn't consume that much information because previously it was told to them whereas now everybody could read the bible right it's just you know that at the time people thought they they just couldn't deal with that amount of new information you know Moore's Law, whatever—all these things have, have kept on driving us exponentially, uh, and that speed of innovation, that speed of creation, has, has just kept going. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, I, I just wonder where it'll top out, or, or you know, does does it overtake us? You know, as, as humans, have we got a physical capacity to innovate, to change, uh, and where does that top out? Uh, this is this is one of the things I'm really fascinated to to see. Uh, but we, we've always managed to adapt, right? It's, it's, uh, so, you know, we've now got uh, social media, the web access to all this information that you could ever wish. And, uh, you know, my head isn't full yet, right? So, so we'll just keep going, uh, and then we'll see where we end up. But for me, you know, I, it, innovation is, is is the excitement that drives us all. Uh, and, you know, people, oh, people are afraid of change. They're not afraid of change. People seek change, right? People, people uh, get married. Uh, that 's a big change in your life, right? Uh, you change your clothes, change your car, you change your hairstyle. you know people throughout their life continue to to change what people don 't like is the uncertainty, which is why I think right now you know there is a lot of hype there is a lot of noise there is there is a lot of uncertainty about where this is going, but you know that 's probably because people are more conscious about the change now as well so i don 't think i don 't think it was the best answer to your question, but uh you know i 'm trying to just build on the fact that. What I've seen is it's going faster and faster and faster. Uh, where does that top out, or does it,
1: right? Chris, thank you very, thank you very much for that, uh, for that conversation.
0: The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, InnovationRoundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms. So visit InnovationRoundtable.online to discover more and request your 7-day free trial account.